Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. This morning, as we are together on this Resurrection Sunday, I wanted to do something a little bit different as, we, as we're together. There's a group of refugees back in the 1700s who went from a country called Moravia into Germany, fleeing from being persecuted because of their love for Jesus and their allegiance to Jesus. And these Moravians ended up being given some land on a wealthy German count's land and established this little village called Hernhut. And eventually there was this incredible prayer revival that broke out, a renewal that broke up out among them. And the Moravians really were the group that started the modern missions movement. They reached North, South America, the, the Horn of Africa, um, all over the world. And they're, they're kind of saying the thing that they, even to this day, the Moravian church, is our lamb has conquered, we will follow him. So this morning, uh, I know that on Easter Sunday, oftentimes we say he's risen, he's risen indeed. But here's, here's what I wanna do this morning and, and I want us to just dig deep and, and go for it. I'm gonna say our lamb has conquered and I want you to respond with we will follow him. Okay? All right. Our lamb has conquered. We will follow him. Awesome, awesome. Jesus, you are the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And we gather as we normally gather, and today in particular, we, we are so grateful and thankful and in awe and humbled by your generosity and your willingness to lay your life down. And so Jesus, I, I just thank you. And so as we gather this morning, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would continue igniting those spot fires around the world as you have been. Calling, your, calling God's people to renewal. Calling them to repentance and boldness in proclaiming the word of King Jesus. I pray that you will meet us here as you met us Friday and, and every day and, and move throughout this place to renew us and revive us so that we would proclaim the message of King Jesus in boldness, no matter what. 
because our lamb has conquered and we will follow him. So this morning, move in us and work in us and let us not grow weary of loving the return of Jesus. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So typically on uh, Easter, historically, people have come to church and it's kind of that church day that people who not always go to church show up at church or people who go to church make sure they come Easter Sunday. It's kind of a big deal. So here's what I want to ask. Over the next seven weeks, I want to ask that we commit ourselves to being here every Sunday. And I know that, that, that there's, it's not the norm necessarily. And I get that there's traveling and schedules and stuff like that. But, but I would ask that we commit to being here for the next seven Sundays. And here's why. If, if you're on vacation, you're out of town, um, make sure you watch. And get into some community within this church family and do some processing. Because over the next seven weeks, we are going to be walking through who we are as a church and what we are doing. In fact, that's the name of our series. Because we didn't want to be cute or funny, just simply who we are and what God is calling us to do as a church. And so it's super, super important that over the next seven weeks that, that if you're a part of our church family and you love being a part of our church family, then great, be here. You will be excited and fired up. If you are here and you're not sure if you wanna be a part of our church family, kind of up in the air, like for real, come the next seven weeks. And, and see if we are who you want to be and if you wanna be doing what we're called to do as a church. But I would encourage you to, to do that and make that commitment and because it is super important. We're gonna try, we're gonna do our very best to communicate what God has done, what he's doing and what he's calling us to do and who we are. The vision that God has us for us as we move forward. So the last number of weeks, we've been kind of going through Lent and we've been going through a series called Empty and Full. And uh, the idea of Lent is identifying with Christ in some small way. And, and the point though is not to necessarily just give something up, but the point is the anticipation of the fullness of life with Christ in his death, resurrection, and ascension. This morning, I wanna actually give you three ways, three things that Easter is both emptying and filling. That what Jesus did, his, his death on the cross, his resurrection and his ascension, how that gives us an opportunity to be emptied and how it gives us an opportunity to be full. It's kind of an ex, in the exchange of Resurrection Sunday. It's what that means. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter two. We'll be looking at, at, at a few verses there. But 
God has a nature. He has attributes. He has a character. And also we experience God in different ways. And, and, so, and so here's the thing. God has a nature and it's often difficult for us to understand or experience his nature. And so when God interacts with us, his nature becomes something that we can experience. So for example, God is, Scripture says God is truth. God is truth. Well, how do you experience truth? When God relates to us in truth, it actually becomes his faithfulness. When we experience God as truth, we experience God in faithfulness, his faithfulness to us. God is holy. How do you understand holiness? Like, well, how do you wrap your mind around holiness? Well, God's holiness, that's his nature, but when he relates to us in holiness, it becomes justice. So we experience God's holiness in justice. And then the Bible says over and over again that God is love. He doesn't have love, but he is love. And when he relates to us in his love, it becomes mercy and grace. We, we experience mercy and grace because of his love. In fact, in, fact, in, in Ephesians 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse 4, here's what Paul says. He says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Later says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. He says, uh, so that the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. And, and so, so, so Paul says here, he says, look, because of the incredible love that God has for us, what we experience is mercy and grace through him. That's what we receive. That's what we, we live in, his mercy and grace. And, and so his, his nature is experienced in very tangible ways. And his mercy and grace is really a central point of the Easter message. That Jesus, in mercy and grace, because of the great love that God has for us, that Jesus would come and lay down his life and he would die on a cross and he'd be raised from the dead and he would ascend into heaven for our forgiveness and our salvation. There's three things that Paul mentions that are both an emptying and a filling because of what Jesus did. And I wanna compare some of this. In, in verse one of Ephesians chapter two, uh, Paul writes this. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world. So he says, you were dead. You were once dead. He's talking to people who, who are believers in the church at Ephesus, and he says, you were once dead. And then in verse Verse four, or in verse five, he says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And so, and so the, the, the exchange, the, the emptying and full is that God, because of what Christ did for us, he empties out death and fills us with life. He makes us alive. We were dead, but God made us alive. 
And, and so everything that, that, we, that we experience in life, even though back in the garden, when, when Adam and Eve were there and God said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of, the, of good and evil. And they did anyway, but he said, but you'll die, surely you'll die. And then they eat it. They didn't die physically, but at that moment they were separated for eternity from God spiritually. And that spiritual death would lead eventually to hardships and a physical death. But because of Jesus, he calls us to empty that out, that death out, and fill us with life. And then in, in verse two, it says, again, in, in, in those things you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, that prince of the power of the air is another name for the one who is reigning in the kingdoms of the world. Satan, the devil, the enemy. So following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body. And then, and then later what he says he says, by grace you've been saved, verse six, and raised us up with him, Jesus, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The second exchange is captivity for freedom. We were captives to the prince of the power of the air, enslaved to the world, but God raised us up with Christ to sit in the heavenly places. This is really significant, and here's why. Because we live in the tension of this world, right? We live in a world that is disappointing and fallen, and it, it really is arguably a mess. But, but what, what God says, because of what Jesus did at Easter, is that we are emptied of our captivity to the enemy. We are no longer slaves to the prince of the power of the air. We are no longer slaves to our sin, but it says that we've been raised up with Christ and seated in the heavenly realm with him. Jesus died, he rose, and then he ascended to heaven and he currently sits on the throne and we are anchored up with him in that place. So we are free, we're freer than anyone else is free. We are free because we are no longer captive to that but we are now set apart and saved and, and freed. And so we are emptied of captivity and filled with the freedom of Christ. And then the third thing that's an exchange in verse three of chapter two, it says, among whom we all lived once in the passions of our flesh, carrying the, out the desires of our body and the mind and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That because we were full of death and that was our ultimate thing, because we were captives of the enemy, that we were objects of wrath because sin has consequence. And God has to deal with sin because he's holy because he's holy and so God, we experience his justice. And if I am guilty of sin, then there is some kind of punishment. There's a wrath that comes on that. But then what Paul says here, 
He says, and Christ, and, and, and raises us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, verse seven, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In other words, we are emptied out of wrath and filled with the kindness of God. Like that's, that's a great trait. And, 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 so, and so while at one time we were at an enemy of God, now we are not only friends, but he, he lavishes us. He unloads his kindness on us. And so these exchanges, these, these things that are empty full, we're emptied out of death and emptied out of captivity and emptied out of wrath. And we are filled with life, being alive. And we are filled with freedom and we are filled with kind, the kindness of God through the abundance of his grace. So what does exactly this mean for us? Well, first of all, it means that life is still challenging. <laughs> Life is still challenging, and sometimes downright it feels defeating, doesn't it? There are so many times that I just want to quit and give up because I feel totally defeated. And that happens. But here's the interesting thing about that. When we feel that way, those are empty feelings because we have been emptied of all the things that defeat has its ties to. Why? Because our lamb has conquered. <laughs> Jesus has already done that. He's already taken care of that. And so we aren't actually defeated. We're living in the tension of experiencing the perfection that God is bringing, the new creation that God is bringing. And so we're in that tension and, and it is temporary, but we are not defeated in this struggle against sin. So that's one thing that that means. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, a couple weeks ago, Sherry and I were out of town and, and we, were, we were staying at this hotel and um, I went down to the fitness room to, to use the elliptical. And, and it's interesting because wherever you are in the country, um, if you go into whether it's a, a lobby or it's like a fitness room and the TVs are on, you kind of have an idea of what you can expect from that local culture area by what they have on the TV, like which news they're watching. And, and so, uh, so uh, I was, I was um, actually uh, about a year ago or so when Brett and I were doing our motorcycle trip up to Alaska and back, we, we came back into the States and we were in Oregon and we stayed at a, a hotel because we were super tired and I went down and CNN was playing on the TVs. And so that gave me an idea of what it might look like around there. And, and in the hotel we were at when we were just about a week ago, uh, what was on, it was Fox News. Now, I just want to clarify, I don't care if you watch CNN or Fox News. I would just like to see you at the wedding feast of the Lamb because that's what matters. And so, and so I'm, I'm, in, I'm, I'm in this fitness room and the TV's on, it's got Fox News. And I saw, there was like, it's funny because you know, I don't hear the, the, the sound because I'm listening to something else, but I can see the screen and see the scrolling. And it was an advertisement for Tucker Carlson's show. And it said, tonight, Tucker Carlson, and then it had this big banner at the bottom, the war on Christianity. And I don't know what you think about that or not, but here's the thing. 
the war on Christianity has already been decided. There is no war on Christianity. What's happening today is that the kingdom of God is indwelling the world and God's people are called to go and bring captives who, who are full of death and captivity and, and, and that, that, that they're full, they're, they're full of, of wrath to bring them to a place where they're full of life and freedom. And that they're full and can receive the kindness of God. So I don't, I, don't, I, I get that, that things are difficult in the world, but just know that Jesus has already conquered. There is no war on Christianity. It doesn't mean there's not sin in the world, but Jesus has already defeated and there's no going back. And, 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 so, and so the second thing that this means, it means that you can confidently trust that the death and resurrection and ascension of Christ has covered all your sins and has guaranteed all the promises of God on your behalf. You can trust that. That's what this means. He can be trusted with your failures and your sin. There's nothing that we can do that can put us too far from God that he can't redeem us. We tend to think of ourselves as relatively well-adjusted people. And then we kind of, you know, think of some people as, you know, the worst. I had this thought in the first service that uh, I bet to someone, to someone, you and I are the worst. <laughs> I'm pretty sure to someone or a number of people, I'm the worst. Whether or not that's true, I can trust that Jesus can forgive me being the worst. We can trust Jesus with our relationships. He says we can trust him with our jobs, our health. We can trust him with our money and our dreams and our future. Easter reminds us that Jesus has invited us to trust him with our sin all the way to eternity because he's settled it. Most of all, most of all, all of this means that one day soon Jesus is coming back to finally and fully make all things new. That's what this means. He has emptied us of death. He's emptied us of captivity and he's emptied us of wrath and he's filled us with life and freedom and kindness. The Moravian people back in the 1700s that I mentioned at the beginning of, of the message, they, uh, they weren't always necessarily on fire for God. In fact, they, when they came, when they fled Moravia and came to Germany, um, they were given land by a guy named Count Zinzendorf. And uh, he was a guy who was sold out to Jesus and pledged his life, committed his life to go wherever God wanted him to go. And he was a very wealthy man, had a lot of land. Uh, he's actually called, you know, from the story in the, in the New Testament about the rich young ruler who walked away sad because he had too much. 
People talk about Count Zinzendorf as the rich young ruler who said yes. <laughs> and then went and did everything God called him to do. Anyway, so he had given the Moravians land. And for the first five years, it did not go well because there was a lot of infighting and anger and um, there was backbiting and there was judgment toward one another. It was kind of a mess. And Count Zinzendorf, every time he was home and there, he would encourage them and exhort them to forgive each other and live the way God wanted them to live. And, and understand that these are people who, who fled their country because they were being persecuted because they loved Jesus. Even people who love Jesus can get pretty messed up. And so about five years after they settled at Hernhut, Germany, there was, there was a renewal and a revival that broke up. There's about 250 people, 280 people living in Hernhut. And here's what's interesting. The revival didn't start with some person getting excited about Jesus. It was, it was, it was one night and it, was, it began with a, an 11-year-old girl, Suzanne. She had been praying for three days. Her mom had passed away and she was living with just her dad and she'd been praying for three days. And, and on that third day, at one o'clock in the morning, she woke up and she had this inexpressible joy that she had never experienced before. And she ran and woke up her dad and said, Dad, I am alive in Christ. And she said, Mom is alive with Christ. And we are alive in Christ and we'll be with him one day. And what's interesting, the next day, actually that night, there was three other young girls who, who woke up and had that same experience. And so over the next number of days, the children, a town of about 280 people, about 70 children, the children started praying around the clock. And eventually, as these little kids were praying, they started to impact their parents. And their parents started praying. And, and, and it just spread like wildfire. And from that time on, in, in 1727, that began... 100 years of 24-7 prayer in Hernhut. Not a minute went by when people were not in that village praying constantly for 100 years. And, 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 so, and so a few years later, a few years later, they sent their first missionaries out to the world. As I said, the Moravians sent people all over the world. In the, in, in, the mid, in the early, mid-1700s. And on October 8, 1732, two, two Moravians boarded a Dutch ship that left the Copenhagen Harbor for the West Indies. They believed God was calling them and they were the first missionaries to go from Hernhut. They believed God was calling them to those who were slaves in the West Indies. So how do you go to be a missionary to slaves who are owned by others and those others aren't interested in giving them time to go to church or have a Bible study? How do you break into that? You know what these two men decided? As they boarded the ship at the harbor, they went to the West Indies with money 
to sell themselves into slavery in the West Indies so that they could reach the slaves in the West Indies. How could they do that? I don't know that God has asked me to do anything that extreme. I'd much rather stand against slavery than sell myself into slavery to reach slaves. You know why they could do that? Because they knew that they were emptied of death and they had been made alive. And with that life, they were gonna live it to the full, which was in obedience to King Jesus, their Lord and Savior. You know why they did that? Because they had been captives. They knew what it was like to be slaves to sin and the prince of the power of the air. And they are now free in Christ Jesus. And even if somebody else claimed that they owned them, they had no claim to them because Jesus had made them free. And they could go and bring freedom to these slaves, a real freedom, more than just their physical freedom, but a freedom for eternity in Christ Jesus. They knew that they had been filled with freedom and no one could change that. They were able to do that because they knew that they were once recipients of God's wrath. And because of what Jesus did for them, they have experienced in their lifetime the kindness of God and their desire was for the slaves in the West Indies to experience the kindness of God. When we see our lives through the lens of Resurrection Sunday, that we have been emptied of death and captivity and wrath and filled with life and freedom and the kindness of God. There is nothing that we cannot persevere through for the glory in obeying Jesus Christ, our King. These two individuals who <laughs> embarked on this mission as the ship left the port this is what they were heard proclaiming. As loud as they could, and many people heard it, as the ship left the harbor, they said, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. As they stepped in to join Jesus in his suffering, they were going to be the reward, the joy that was set before Jesus. We're gonna take communion together. And um, when I think of the, the disciples sitting in that upper room with Jesus, they didn't quite have understanding. They didn't quite understand what was happening because Jesus hadn't been injured or hurt as of yet. But they would know by evening that something was in their minds going wrong. Yet Jesus went through with that so that we could be made alive and be free and experience the kindness of God. And so Jesus with his disciples, he took the bread. He said, this is my body 
broken for you. And within a day, they understood what that meant. So let's take and eat. And then Jesus took the cup. I so love John's vision where the apostle John is having this vision and he records it in Revelation. He says, and I looked and I saw what appeared to be a lamb that was slain. The cup. A lamb that is slain is bloody. Jesus says, this is a cup. It represents my blood that was shed. And so John says, I saw a lamb that appeared to be slain. And then he says, they're, they're looking in all of heaven for one who is worthy to open the scroll. And it's that lamb that was slain was the only one worthy. It's the lamb that shed his blood willingly for the sake of our sins. So Jesus says to his disciples, he says, this is my blood that was shed for you. Whenever you do this, remember that not only was I slain, but I also am worthy to rule and reign forever and ever. Let's take the cup together. Jesus, I thank you that you are worthy. And while we may not be called to do the same things that those men getting on a ship bound for their West Indies. We do share with them that we who have come to Christ and pledged our allegiance to the Lamb, our loyalty to King Jesus, have surrendered ourselves. We've been made alive and freed and God are under your umbrella of kindness. We share that with those men. And you call us to obedience as you did them. And it may look different, but it certainly is denying ourselves and taking up our cross because of what you did, Christ. And so today, Jesus, we thank you for what you did for us. And I want to live my life fully and completely for you until you return because you have conquered and I wanna follow you until you come back and until we sit at the table, the wedding feast of the Lamb. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint.